Welcome everybody to The State, the podcast where we talk about the state of key issues within the church. This week, we're continuing our discussion on social justice and specifically the statement on social justice and the gospel. We're going to deal with Articles 1 and 2, uh, Scripture and the image of God. So buckle in. Here we go. From everlasting to everlasting, Okay, everybody, as we fire this up uh, in with me today is, again, my lovely wife, Sarah. Hello. There we go. Um, We're going to start by reading Articles 1 and 2 in the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel, and then we're going to get into um, uh, the the scriptures uh, that help us affirm and deny each key point. So each article comes with an affirmation or with affirmations. Each article comes with denials and then scriptures to back that up. So without further ado, article number one, scripture. We affirm that the Bible is God's word breathed out by him. It is inerrant, infallible, and the final authority for determining what is true, that is what we believe, and what is right or how we must live. All truth claims and ethical standards must be tested by God's final word, which is Scripture alone. So that's the affirmation on Scripture, and the denials uh, are as follows. We deny that Christian belief, character, or conduct can be dictated by any other authority, and we deny that the postmodern ideologies derived from intersectionality, radical feminism, and critical race theory are consistent with biblical teaching. We further deny that the competency to teach on any biblical issue comes from any qualification for spiritual people other than the clear understanding and simple communication of what is revealed in Scripture. So that's the affirmation and the denial of Scripture. I'll read quickly the affirmation and denial of uh, the image of God, and then we'll go through uh, each, you know, we'll go through the Scriptures Uh, to talk about each section. Image of God. We affirm that God created every person equally in his own image. As divine image bearers, all people have inestimable value and dignity before God and deserve honor, respect, and protection. Everyone has been created by God and for God. We deny that God-given roles, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, religion, sex, or physical condition, or any other property of a person either negates or contributes, doesn't negate, doesn't contribute, to that individual's worth as an image bearer of God. And we'll, we'll explore that a little bit more. So back up to the top, we're going to talk about scripture. And the very first passage that we're going to go to is Psalm 19 verses seven through 10. Now in the statement, Genesis 2, 18 through 25 are the first, is the first scripture there. And, and it's important and it's something worth talking about, but, uh, we're we're operating as we talk about this we're operating under the assumption that we're speaking to Christians we're reinforcing the idea that the scriptures are our authority that they're they're of you know we can't move forward without this inspired uh word of god uh, because they're the the scripture is what gives us the basis for all that we know and believe. Yes. So we're, we're not trying to convince anybody of that. We're talking to people who should be convinced 
of that. That being said, Genesis 2, 18 through 25 talks about the marriage between a man and a woman. It talks about the first, you know, the first created order marriage where it's, we're dealing with Adam and Eve. We're created for this purpose, for one another, um, and so on. So uh, we're going to move to Psalm 19, 7 through 10, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, Psalm 19, 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So a pretty lofty view of of the word of God, of the commands of God, the statutes of God. Yes. I, I see in here the statutes of the Lord are right and pure and clean, true and sweet. Yeah. So I think that that's a beautiful picture. Of course, that has to be anything that's going to be described in that way has to be our absolute Go to for judging anything else, and if we if we can start with those presuppositions, those ideas that the law of God is perfect, or or that it is sure, or it gives as me you confidence, said, right, that it, I can stand my ground in these other issues. Absolutely, but it also it, those presuppositions allow us to go into hard passages, things that that the things that the culture says no way. Okay, the roles between men and women and, and how marriage is defined as one man and one woman for a lifetime and, and the, the scriptural views on divorce. When we understand that God's word is all the things you talked about, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, when we go with that presupposition, it means that we put ourselves in a humble position to say, I want to understand how that is good, how that is right, how that is pure. Most people come to the scripture, even Christians seem to be coming to the scripture with this, how can that be good? Well, it is good. That's a fact. Let's start to explore well, scripture the scripture has of to it. tell us what is good. Absolutely. You cannot interpret scripture through what the culture says is good. You'll have it backwards. Which is the very problem in social justice. Yes. We're trying to interpret how things should be handled through a societal lens, through a social lens, and not through a scriptural lens first. You, you pointed out these amazing uh, you know, identifiers of the Word of God, pure, uh, perfect, sure, right. It, it's fascinating to me. What stands out to me um, is that it restores the, sto- the soul it makes wise those who are simple. Um, it is it is right the re, uh, to the rejoicing heart. It enlightens the eyes. These are all things we want. Every one of us wants these things. Well, guess what? We go to the scripture this for them. This is where they are. This is where they are. <laughs> we try to find them in social constructs, but they don't. They will fail. They will fail. They don't come from there. Um in an article on the um, social, a statement on social justice website, uh, in an article written by uh, Josh Buse, uh, he says this. He says that it is a um, it is a wrong starting point. Social justice has a really bad starting point 
I'm quoting this, rather than beginning in the word and seeking biblical justice, social justice, by its very definition, begins in the social environment and imports ideas from sociology, politics, and a wide array of disciplines into the scriptures. So we're reading, this is eisegesis, we're reading into the text of scripture instead of taking from the scripture what we need to learn. Uh, this is why we you hear gifted theologians talking about justice through the lens of intersectionality and systemic racism, as opposed to reading it through James 1.27, the pure and undefiled religion before God is mm -hmm. this. Um, those terms, intersectionality, uh, radical feminism, systemic racism, um, and critical race theory, these are, these are all subjects that I'm going to, all terms that I'm going to define in another podcast where I go into great detail. It'll be more of a, um, more of an add on to the, to the state podcast, just so that we can make sure all these terms are getting defined and defined well. So it won't be a long or lengthy podcast, um, but it'll, it'll, it'll hit home on defining those terms. Anyway, the writer goes on and he says this, in many ways, the starting point of social justice likewise denies a key hermeneutic, that's how we interpret hermeneutic, that goes beyond the presuppositional apologetic. It actually denies the literal, grammatical, historical approach to biblical interpretation. This is clear uh, clearly put on display by what one preacher recently stated in a sermon. Now, here's the quote from the sermon. Social justice is, quote, social justice is a biblical issue. It's not a black issue. It's a humanity issue. It's not a hood issue. It's a global issue. And until we understand that Jesus himself said, Listen to this interpretation of it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach liberty to the captive to set free those who are oppressed. If that ain't social justice, I don't know what is. <laughs> the hermeneutics of this says oppression is read through the lens of what what culture may be going through, what we're dealing with right now. The oppressed was sin. It always has been. It always will be. It manifests itself in many different ways. But Jesus came to preach liberty to those held captive to sin, sin yeah. not held captive to X, Y, or Z, whoever you're, you think your oppressor is. This is why social justice at its core uh, can't be a gospel issue. It's a social issue itself. It is a... It is a manufactured thing of the 21st century. So this is something that's really important. So back to scripture. We're talking about scripture being um, scripture being affirmed as the inerrant, infallible, and final authority in determining what is true. We read Psalm 19, 7 through 10. Um, we're going to go next to uh, Corinthians, correct? Uh, yeah, that's the yeah. next one on the list, yeah. Do you have that dialed up there? Why don't you go ahead and find that? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I'll get that. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Here's what it says. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 
For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's a, there's such glory in that passage. But here's, here's what stands out to me about this is important to me in this. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The Word of God, the laws of God, the commands of God, they are all inspired by God's Spirit. The natural man is not going to look to the Bible and say, gee, that makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to look at it and say... They're going to say, that's foolishness. That feels foolish. That feels hard. That feels you know, wrong to me, but those who have been redeemed and those who are born of the Spirit understand the Scripture to be Spirit, inspired by the Spirit, and then they, and then all of Psalm 19 applies. It's, it's pure to us. It's, it's refreshing. It's, it's like sweet, purified yeah. gold. It's, it's yes. amazing to us. So right there we have that the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So what's what's required in our in a biblical view of true justice? What's going to be required? Oh well, scripture. It's going to be required is scripture, but what's going to be required for us to accept that as not being foolish? You have to be a Christian first. You have first. to be a Christian. This is where we have to get to the to the root of an issue in our culture, and that is that we're not going to fix the culture by imposing biblical principles on them. What we are, how we win, is by preaching Jesus to them. Exactly. We, people have to be born of the Spirit, and then this doesn't become foolishness. But what we have is we have. We have this, you know, imposing scriptural principles. Where if you'll just look like Jesus, life will go better for you. You're, you no. still go to hell. No, I mean, that's just behavior modification. Right. That doesn't change anything. And it's behavior modification of the highest order. Yeah, it's Jesus. That's fantastic. But it's but still... The heart, when the, the heart has to be changed. Exactly. What good does it do to, you know, make laws and monitor everything on the outside? Right. When the heart of a person is still rebelling against everything you've put in place. Yes, which is why, this is why I see it this way. When it comes to, should Christians take political office or seek political office? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Should they do so simply to change legislation so that everything looks Christian? No, they should have... the. Uh, they should be in office to, to establish those good causes for God's people. I think that's good, but they should be always ready to preach that gospel that calls people to repentance and transformation, calls them to spirit-filled life. And you you hold a higher office, you hold a political office or whatever it is in leadership, you hold that so as to be a greater beacon of the light of Jesus Christ. That's important. I think over time, politicians, Christians who have sought political office, have become politicians to just simply put the Bible in place of the moral code of the culture. But that that Bible code is still that that biblical law is still foolishness mm -hmm. to an unregenerate people. 
Yes, and so, eventually they will disregard it. Yes. Even if they heed you at first, they'll disregard it because they're not changed. Right. So yes, we should seek these positions, and yes, we should do so to care for the Christians that are in our nation, and you know, and and yet at the same time, we should do so to preach the gospel from a larger platform. Sadly, most people get into politics and then they just seem to shut up about their faith <laughs> because nobody wants to hear it there either. So I think that's a, I think that's a sad uh, piece. How about Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Again, these are all, these are all uh, in order to affirm and to deny these particular articles in the statement on social justice. What does Ephesians 5 say? Uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are the members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, we've, That's terribly countercultural. Yeah, it's countercultural, and yet at its core, it has everything to do with the Word of God and the value of the Word of God, right? The, the Word of God washing the, uh, the bride, right? So cleansing her, all of these things. The Word of God is that important. When it comes to social issues, when it comes to justice issues, the Christian operates from the Scripture first, then forward, not from the culture backwards. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um I think all of this relationship between husbands and wives of course is countercultural, but it's countercultural proving the point that we've st- we've we've reversed the order. We're dealing with cultural issues first and reading those into how we should interpret the text of scripture. The problem is if you do it with um if you do it with marriage and sexuality, then you have to do it with uh, the relation between the husband and the wife. And ultimately, you're going to get down to doing it between the relationship between Christ and his church. Mm-mm. And and you, we just can't go messing with that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Right? Yeah. So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. What's the... Uh, starting at verse 16, 16. correct? And then we're going to go into chapter 4. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, 
uh, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desire." and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of, of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's happening. It's happening. It's already happening. So again, what we have is all scripture is God-breathed. We have to start there and understand this. Now, I just want to briefly uh, hit on, get on a soapbox and hit on something that I hear a lot, and that is... Um, Differing camps inside of the church, uh, talking about the how high of a view we should have of Scripture. Okay, um, on one side you've got people that that uh, basically want to you know divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament to move you know, move beyond that kind of thing. We're in a new covenant. All that does is further solidify this, this notion, uh, an erroneous notion that there's a God of the old Testament and a God of the new Testament. He, you know, the God of the old Testament was just this mean fuddy duddy. And now we've got Jesus with the hippie makeover. Um, but God is the same and, you know, God's story is unchangeable. You know, it's, it's, it's continuous throughout this whole piece. All of scripture, according to this, is God-breathed. And I hear people say things like this. They'll say, don't make a paper pope out of the Bible. I've heard people say, don't make a paper pope out of the Bible. You're right. We shouldn't make a paper pope. It's, it's actually infallible. God. Yeah, it's actually infallible, not the pope. But the scripture is inspired by God. It is God's word. What happens in conversations about the scripture, about its inerrancy, about its sufficiency, about all this stuff, is that people tend to want to uh tend to want to hold tight to just the words on just the words on the page without any um any reality to the fact that we are to rightly divide it. So the spirit of God is working in us to even understand the thing. Of course. Okay. It doesn't it's spiritually say spiritually discerned. Right. It's spiritually discerned. It doesn't say, it doesn't say in scripture, just just, you know, read it word for word there. You you've you've got it and you don't need to seek God for what this means. We do need to seek God. He is clearly and actively working in this. At the same time, uh, so many people want to throw the Bible completely out. They want to toss it under, failing to realize the same spirit that they claim is speaking to them inspired every word in this book. Mm -hmm. so, so if God is undivided, why would you divide him? Why, right. why would you set a division between what God has inspired to have written? We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in the Psalms that, that God spoke and he, care, you know, he spoke to men and they were carried along. They wrote this stuff out and it was useful for us to learn. David, the apostles, on down the line. Why would we see that and then just decide... We, we don't believe that when it's inconvenient. God's word is inspired. It's useful for teaching, useful for correcting. The spirit of God is over those words on those pages just as much as he would be if there was a, uh, uh -huh. a prophetic utterance in the world today. Yeah, you there know? are no loopholes for getting out of trusting in the word of God. No. 
Although there's a lot of attempt. I, I know, but <laughs> either you believe it or you don't. Right. Right. Exactly. And if you believe it, you have to believe all of it. Yes. And you have to stand there. Yes. It is your platform. Yes. And you trust it. And the authority by which you stand up and confidently declare that you that peop, all men everywhere must repent and believe is found in those pages. Yeah. The, the authority by which you stand and you say, if it's not for the resurrection, our faith is futile, was written to you in those pages. <laughs> so like, it just, it baffles me how many people want to divorce uh, the spirit of God and the word that he inspired. So, so that, that is just, I'm, I'm done with my soapbox for a second there. Small tangent. There. So yeah. So um, Paul says in, to Timothy that he charges him in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom to preach the word. What word would that have been? No, it's not the New Testament canonized. It's not written in any form, but it is the word of the gospel as I see it, right? To preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. I am saddened every time I hear of another church, especially large churches, because they have such influence. When another church seems to capitulate to the culture yes, and to the social Justice. expectations. Exactly. And my heart sinks a little each time, and I think, oh, no, how many people are sitting in there in their congregations listening to their pastor speak on these things, believing it all, without even looking to the Word to see if it's true. Right. They just, the, the preacher said it, so it must be because he's a man of God. And then they follow it, and their their worldview, their their life view, um, their filter on interpreting scripture and everything is tainted. Yes. Um, and they don't rely on the spirit of God anymore. They rely on the words of men, and this is just this is the way that our culture is going, and even the church culture, it's becoming more and more worldly, and it makes me sad. I think this is why we're instructed to test everything according to yeah. scripture, test everything. You know, we need to, um, there has to be something by which we can gauge whether a man is a man of God, whether a teacher is a teacher of the things of God. And the only way that we can gauge that is to go back to some objective source and that would be the scripture, inspired by the Spirit of God. Honestly, to me, that's logic. It's <laughs> completely logical to me, yes. but it it is no wonder that the church is largely ineffective. Right. Because we're undermining each other left and right. We're not. We we're not united at all. No, absolutely. And not. we all. The the strange thing is, we all use the same scripture. Yeah. And we'll throw this scripture out and that scripture out, and we'll come up with. You know, we use the word of God even to justify our pet our, doctrines or yes. whatever we want to come up with to capitulate to the culture or to make ourselves feel better, to, to justify our, our own guilt uh, or whatever. And um, 
I feel like those that would stand solidly on the word of God and would say, no, that's not what God's word says. I feel like every time that happens in either a denomination, like a denominational change right. of what, what to those denominations will accept or, or teach, uh, or even large independent churches that don't necessarily fit into a denomination, but they are just adopting this and that and whatever. They seem to pull it out of the air. I feel like those that would stand solidly on the Word of God lose a little bit more ground each time. We, it's like we are falling into the minority. Without doubt. And we're getting less and less and less of a voice. And so we almost have to shout louder yeah. or something. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12, uh, uh, verse 12 says, um, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And right there, I think, is why we don't want to go by a biblical justice. We don't want to go by a a gospel justice, because this particular word, um, it judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, and we don't want those judged, so we go based on, a, a, you know, a social norm. Oh, I wasn't totally following you there. Yeah. I thought you were saying we don't want to follow <laughs> the yeah, You'll be all right. We, <laughs> the reason why people refuse to follow the scripture is because the scriptures judge the intentions of their heart. And it's easier when you just create a social, uh, you know, agenda of your own because we can just move forward. And that's just not the right way right. to no, go I, about it. I agree it. with you. There you go. We're, we're finally on the same page, <laughs> are we? So First uh, Peter <laughs> chapter 1 Verse 25. Go ahead and read that out when you get there. First Peter chapter 1, 25. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you in the NASB. And so um, I, what is so staggering about this is that if you put this into the argument on social justice and the gospel... Here's what you realize. Social justice, a man-made thing, flesh, it withers and it fades, but the gospel will endure forever. Social justice is not a gospel issue. The gospel endures forever. The gospel should inform how we do justice. Mm -hmm. The gospel yes. should inform how we see society and how we see what is really at the at the uh, the core, the heart of what is wrong with society. The root cause, sin. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And that is those, the wages of sin is death. We're going to die in this, if not for the one who, while we were yet sinners, died for us, Christ Jesus. So only, so it, you cannot, in my view on this, you cannot say social just, justice is a gospel issue. The gospel informs justice. The gospel informs uh, our view on society. It has to, and it, it has to in every way. And, and most people who, who agree with that, agree with that until we start talking about the hard issues of how, um, 
of how we're supposed to still be Christ-like even though the culture around us continues in its bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Even though the culture around us allows for, you know, pick pick a poison, right? Uh, Slavery, whether sexual or racial, the culture around us allows for these things and lives by these horrible ways, doesn't view all men as equal, doesn't view all men as image bearers of God, which we're going to go to next. It doesn't view people like that. And yet the gospel looks at it and says, you live like Christ in the midst of it. Man, people have a problem with that. It's, it's not a easy, challenge. especially if you don't like ruffling feathers. Right. I am a person that I will be honest, I tend to avoid conflict. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with it most of the time. Because I just want people to be happy. (laughs) I can't have that all the time. That's something I think myself and three quarters of the culture is going to have to get over. (laughs) Yeah, especially when you get back to uh, fulfill your calling, you know, fulfill the duty of an evangelist. You're going to ruffle some feathers here. I know. (laughs) Which goes back to why the scripture has to be immovable for us. Yes. You have to know this. You have to believe in your heart of hearts that this is what we stand on. And you cannot budge on it. Yes. You can't, but... You shouldn't. We seem to be in the midst of a debate, social justice in the gospel, that says you should budge on the gospel. No. No, you can't. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There's, there's back to that inspiration piece of the scripture. But here's what's interesting. If we, if we back up to verse 17, we realize that, um, that, uh, this is an account of Peter, uh, witnessing the transfiguration of Christ. They are on the mountain, the holy mountain with Jesus. They hear the utterance of the Lord. This is my son uh, in whom, with whom I am well pleased. And then that helps us to interpret verse 19. We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. It wasn't uh, a prophetic word as in they, they particular, it became scripture because as we see, Peter is writing it to us now. It's, he's writing it mm-hmm. so that we have this record of it. But the prophetic word made more sure was that they witnessed Jesus transfigured. They heard the voice of God. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. So the prophetic word was made more certain because they saw it. Um, and then it says, to which you would do well to pay attention. That's where we hear the story. We need to pay attention. Uh, it's a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And then this beautiful statement, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The things spoken in scripture were spoken as men were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
So when they talk to how society should be, how men should be, how women should be, how marriage should be, how race relations should be, when they speak to that stuff, we are talking about things that were, that were spoken by the Spirit of God as he moved men of old to write down. And we don't get to interpret them our own particular no, way. No, it's not our right. Right. It should leave us in a place of humility to say, God, help me understand this right? I think that needs to be at the heart of all of this. Okay, so let's move to uh, the second article in the statement on social justice in the gospel, which is the image of God. We've read through the affirmations. We may come back to those as we make our points, but the first scripture is Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 30. Go ahead and read that out to us. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and said, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. That's it. That's oh, okay. Yeah, so if we third. couple that with um, Genesis chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for, the image, for in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. The idea here is that the image of God is this, um, is this ultimate... Uh, created order. I mean, we're, we're dealing with something that is, that is different than anything else in all creation. Now, here's what stands out to me about that and social justice. Um, we make man in our own image, in our own likeness. How many races are there in mankind? According to the scriptural worldview, there's one race. There's humankind. That's it. Yes. Um, so we're all made in God's image. We're all affirming uh, this idea that, again, we are equally created in God's own image. We're divine image bearers. All people have inestimable value and dignity before God, and they deserve honor, they deserve respect, they deserve protection. This is what we're called to do, uh, I think, as, as image bearers. We're supposed to protect that image. Genesis 9 says you're supposed to protect it so much so that if you, know, if you take man's blood, you're going you're gonna to have to pay with your blood. Why? Specific reason, because you're image bearers. If you take the blood of an animal, what's, what's the deal? You don't have to pay for that with your blood. Why? It's, it's not, not an, an image, image bearer. Bear. So we are image bearers. The, <laughs> this is interesting and important in social justice. The biblical worldview is the only one that paints man 
with that big of an, of an image and therefore is to be protected and is to be cared for. If you erase the scripture, if you remove article one of this, that mm-hmm. the scripture is important, then you don't have Genesis one and you don't have Genesis nine. And then this is the problem with the evolutionary plan, yeah. right? If this is the, the way things play out, if this is the way it works, there is no image because we're all this, everything is just a, an in-process version of something, right? We're all just oozing around. Um, there is no particular image bearer, which means I don't have to treat anything with any respect or dignity no. because there is no image. Yes. We all came from a blob. We're it's all moving into purposeless. something else. Everything is purposeless. We're just in a constant flux of change. Yippee. Like everybody loves change constantly. And that's exactly what evolution gives you. Mm-hmm. The, the, the promise of evolution is forever change. Right. <laughs> right. The promise of creation is you were made in the image of God and God loves you and he is going to protect that image. Now, as far Which as makes me justice, wonder why people push that away so much. Yeah, it doesn't. Because if you push away the one who created you in his image, you push away your responsibility to him. Yeah. So if, so, but the problem is you cut your nose off to spite your face, right? So you miss the point that if you cut off God as the image bearer, you also cut off dignity. You cut off the the right you have to any kind of dignity. Well, anything good. Everybody's obsessed with love right now. Uh, There is no love without God. of it, yes. Yeah, exactly. So you want, we want all the benefits we want justice, but in order to have true justice, you have to have the God of Scripture. You have to be made in that image. You have to have a gospel that allows for uh, the, the writing of the great wrong of the sin of humanity. Otherwise, you can't have any real justice. You can't have any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you run all this through the filter of just society and what is going on, um, there's no guarantee you'll you'll have a you you may have a temporal uh, morality, uh, but over time it will wane as well. Mm-hmm. It's just going to fade. The next passage yeah. is Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Oh yeah, it's Colossians. Yeah. So let's go to Colossians chapter one twenty one through twenty two. Read that out. Colossians chapter one. 21 through 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's beautiful. We, we've lost. We were made as image bearers. Through sin, we, we distorted that image. We perverted that image the gospel, but Christ. Christ came and he restores this image. He brings us back into this. Read that final verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Yes. So Jesus comes to represent us, holy, blameless, full-fledged image bearers of God. This is why, again, 
Scripture is important in social justice and the gospel, this debate, because Scripture and the image of God debate teach us that the gospel reveals to us proper justice. Mm -hmm. The gospel preaches justice, and that justice comes through Christ alone. Mm -hmm. That's how that works. And then that plays out as Christians live godly lives in the image that they were created in, as they begin to... um, as they begin to to be little Christ working out God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven in those uh, small ways. It's just quite fantastic. Yes. Okay, so uh, the next time we get together, we're going to be talking about justice, the affirmations and denials of justice, as well as the affirmations and denials of God's law. This is Article 3 and Article 4 in the Statement on Social Justice. Again, if you are interested in signing this uh, this statement, the beauty is that there are now over 9,000 signers to the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. All you have to do is go to statementonsocialjustice.com. If you have enjoyed content like this, we really appreciate you listening, and we would love for you to subscribe. Click the bell icon on YouTube, and you'll be uh, sent an email when when there's a new episode posted. You can also listen to us just as a podcast on your way to work or while you're at work or whatever it is that you're doing on Google Play, SoundCloud, or iTunes. Um, We appreciate you joining us. I know that Sarah appreciates it too. Yes, thank you. She was in the middle of a yawn, so I wanted to just grab her there for... (laughs) Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) So awesome. Have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed day. God bless you. Bye. To everlasting, I got you raised, I got you raised.